another episode of the anarchist experience episode 336 aka year seven week 34 uh coming at you this week as always i'm your host mr richie rich along with mc and ks and still recording on clubhouse so follow me there or find the club uh, at riches for rich r-i-c-h-e-s the number four r-i-c-h or find the club the anarchist experience and then i will click the little button uh to let you know when we're recording this live um which is typically around 4 p.m. Eastern time on Saturdays, right? 10 a.m. Hawaii time for you, but that'll vary. Um, but it's typically around 4 p.m. Uh, Eastern time. If you're if you're by your phone and you're like, oh man, I want to talk about what they're talking about. I want I have something to say. Uh, that would be around the time to to get on board with that. Uh, that being said, we are going to start off by continuing uh, a bit of the conversation that we had. Uh, started last week uh, because we ran out of time. It's a podcast, so we could have gone on as long as we wanted, but we, you know, we, we try to keep it, you know, to reasonable listening time. Um, and then we were getting into, we were watching it. Well, we watched a YouTube video. Um, oh, I forget the guy's name, the Russian dude, Mikhail Yurkinov or something like that. Mikhail. Yeah, Mikhail Svedov. There you go. <laughs> it was close. If you look up Russian libertarian, you will find him. Because he's got the biggest shows, you know, the, the, the largest audiences in all of the world uh, for libertarian speeches and content. So there you go. Um, but anyway, we watched this. We, we watched the video and you, you had some comments on it because um, KS and, and to you to a little bit, I guess, lesser extent, MC didn't agree with his presentation um, in turning off part of the audience and yada, yada, yada. You can hear our whole discussion on that uh, by listening to last week's episode. Um, but there was a follow up video that we didn't get to touch on which was from uh louis louis espinoza and he was talking about you know market of value and umc wanted to talk today about incentives and how libertarians can properly incentivize individuals uh and convert them to the ideas of freedom and liberty i guess is that correct me if i'm wrong but go ahead with with how how can we incent these and incentivize these individuals to care about their freedom and their liberty. Yeah. Well, that's the, the problem is, is that government has power that people want and that's the incentive to go after it and control other people's lives. And, and there's a real market incentive to be in control and to even, even for, you know, especially right now in the U S it's big corporations. If they can get, uh, their politician in, then they'll get special favors and special advantages, and they'll dominate the market because cronyism. Um, but there's other things too, like welfare. Like uh, if somebody says, "Oh well, uh, of course I'd like you know free college, free higher education." Um, well, that's an incentive structure that is a uh, well, it's damaging to uh, the the schools in the long run because then they have to 
comply with whatever the the government says is valid to get the, the free money. Right. So the government steals people's money, gives them back a portion of it. But uh, what, what's the, I forget how the quote goes, but it goes like, you know, uh, takes the money quietly, gives it back flamboyantly or something to that effect. Sure. Right. Like, you know, no one sees all the taxes that they're paying, but oh boy, when, when they're putting together another government program to, to give you back free stuff, right? No one talks about that. Um, so someone posted like, I, I don't even think this guy is like a libertarian, but he's, he seems to be having um, uh, like sparks of greatness, I guess. Like some of the ideas are starting to come around. Um, he's just a friend on, on social media. And he posted like, so who's paying for all these free jabs? Right. <laughs> like no, no one considers it. And someone answered, right. Well, the government is right. Like, and I knew from that response, I don't know that person, the, the respondent, but I was like, Oh man, of course they don't understand how that's really happening. And this, the, this friend on, on social media, like replied, you know, replied back. So this is where I think like, Oh, he actually, he's getting it. He, he's either already always had it. Um, or he's finally starting to get it. And I don't, I don't know. Um, cause we've been, we've been social media friends for a long time. I know him in person, but I didn't meet him through like Liberty oriented circles. And so we've never had these conversations in person, but he responded back. Well, Oh, so you mean the taxpayers are paying for it? I go, yeah, well, he, he obviously gets it. Um, but this is also, you know, one of the things that we talked about last week is like my solution for libertarians, right? If your goal is to win at politics is just lie to people. Because clearly what people want to hear is more free stuff for me, right? Like I want, I want that universal health care. I want uh, a universal basic income. I want free college. You know, I want everything for free and I want billionaires to pay for it. Like that's, that is like the, the hallmark of, I'm going to say left ideology at the moment, um, there are some things that, you know, the, the people who lean right want more of, and they want the government to pay for it. Uh, a lot of that typically is military spending. So we'll, we'll see about that. Um, yeah. Cause they're in the military or they have family in the military or they were right. in the military. <laughs> right. But that's, that's like, that's the, that's their stereotypical go-to. I want the government to pay for. Right. Right. Um, and libertarians, anarchists are offering none of that. Right. There's nothing, you know, there's fucking work hard. And, you know, be, be self-reliant, be self-sufficient and take care of yourself and your family and, you know, voluntary charity and so on. But like, none of it is like, no, 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 you don't, you, you know, if you want something, you got to uh, strap, lace up those boots and strap it on and get to work. And people don't want to hear that. It's, it's a lot easier to not do that and just get the free stuff from the government and let other people pay for it. Right. You'll never be ultra rich that way but you will scrape by a meager existence. And so again, my answer is just lie to people, promise them all of that. Right. And then when you, when you, when the libertarians have like firmly grasps the reins of power, uh, then deliver freedom instead. And don't, you know, be like every other politician, just don't deliver on the promise. So I don't know if, I don't know if you can properly incentivize people for hard work, um, and, you know, self-reliance and freedom when they're conditioned to want everything handed to them for free. 
So what's the solution? <laughs> I just I gave it to you. Just lie to him. Just don't deliver on the promise. No, that's that's the solution to gain political power. But yeah, uh, I think to me the problem is is that people want this stuff. So even so, even if you know a libertarian happens to gain political power for a little while, uh, he'll he'll be ousted and replaced by somebody who is actually going to give them free stuff and has in the past. So. Well, and that's also why, if we want to take it one step further, I said it's it's got to be a sustained effort of controlled opposition. Sure, right. Sure. Someone, someone else who's also liberty minded has to run against you in in round two, and say like, "Look at this. He didn't deliver any of this stuff. I'm going to deliver it for you." And everyone will be you know lined up, you know, with with double ballots in hand to vote for that guy, and he yeah. just has to do more of the same. And then four so years hit- later, they'll, they'll forget all about it and you know fall for the same trick all over again. I think 98% of the time people reelect the same person who lied to them and failed to deliver because he's familiar and the other one is unfamiliar. So I don't know that the next guy coming along will get it, you know, will be able to out, oust the last one. Well, and if he doesn't, then you still got the same guy in there that's delivering freedom and liberty and not pro- giving them what they promised, what he promised. So to me, it sounds like a win-win. Either they follow, and then 98% follow the same guy, and he gets reelected, delivers nothing but freedom and liberty, or they fall for the trick all over again and and oust him and elect the guy who's going to break their promises as well. But if 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 you could figure out a way, if there was a way to you know to sustain that effort and control and be the be be in charge and control the opposition, right? Well, that's that's exactly what they're doing. I know, and look at it; it fucking works. But libertarians won't do it, and that's <laughs> that's the frustrating part, right? Like we, there there is a, there is a clearly a winning strategy when it comes well, to like it, electoral politics because that's what it is. And they, libertarians they, shun they, it. They are promising free school, and everybody gets free school. It's not good, but they it's free, <laughs> so that's. Yeah, that's exactly what they're doing. They're, you know, every year they they claim to want to fix things, but it's a government created problem in the first place, and they're not going to challenge that because everybody wants the things that the government has and provides. Yeah. So libertarians promise free schools and then close down the Department of Education and and make all the schools, you know, charter schools sure. or private schools or whatever to, you know, just cancel it, right? And one of two things happens. Either what KS said, which is 98% of people like still like that guy because they're familiar with him and they keep him around and there's no return to public schools. Or the controlled opposition comes along and said, look at this goofy son of a bitch. He canceled all the schools and I am going to reopen them for you and we will have free education once again. And if people clamor onto that message, right, then you got to make sure that the guy delivering that message is the controlled opposition that won't follow through and open and reopen the schools, right? Ah, oh, it's a bureaucratic red tape, and you wouldn't believe how hard it is to get these things reopened after that last guy screwed it all up for me. This is harder than I thought. It might take me two terms to get this done, and by the end of two terms, you're eight years down the line. Who remembers what it's like, you know, to have public schools starting to fade from the memory? One more cycle of that, and you've turned the tides. I'm not convinced that the big lie will suddenly be reversed once a politician, uh, even a libertarian politician, I mean, a, a libertarian politician, uh, e- once they're elected, there's always still the desire to win the next election and to win a higher election. And I don't I don't see the libertarian then suddenly saying, oh, now I'm in power, now I'm going to um, re- 
undo all the things that I promised. I don't see that happening. I think it's much more part of human nature is to is to stay with the lie, even increase the lie if it means power. Okay. I don't so, think there's any a principled right. libertarian that's going to say I'm going to lie to you and then and then I'll do what I'm really thinking. Well, then libertarians are just as bad as Republicans and Democrats, and they ought well, not be elected either. So keep right, losing right. guys. Yeah. Well, well. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's ex- expecting the political system to be the libertarian solution, and it's not going to be. Well, I'm not expecting it. I'm saying for, for the libertarians that want to win, there is a clear path to victory, and they choose not to take it. And then if, if, they're, not, if they're not going to follow that path, right, and, and follow, like, my strategy and, you know— give you know four years and you're out then just pass the baton to the next libertarian right like it's it's no longer about you at that point it's about uh the entire community of freedom loving individuals going like okay this is the strategy what do we have to do right like even here one of the conversations i was having i think it was last sunday or something um at dinner or whatever it's um we're talking, you know, or maybe it was last week, Tuesday. I don't remember. Either way, uh, I was talking to somebody and we were talking about like, you know, the local libertarian political community here in New Hampshire. And I said, well, they're never going to let a libertarian like get to the high seat of power, right? You can, you can win, you know, the, the local dog catcher race um, as a libertarian because there's not a lot of opposition for that position, right? Like they're, there are seats that need to be filled that no one is filling, and a libertarian could get in on one of those governmental seats of, uh, of power. Uh, but if you want to, like, to control the real reins of power, like either mayor, uh, uh, governor, or you know, Washington seat in the Senate or, or the House or whatever it happens to be, right? You're, there's, there's a lot more competition for those seats. And what I suggested was if you really want libertarians to have that seat— it's a long-term strategy. You're not going to win it in the next election. You're going to have to subvert the system, right? You're going to have to convince someone to infiltrate, right? To go deep, deep, deep undercover um, and, and take years to work their way up to that position. And then once they achieve that power, right, then they can flip the switch. Is but there it's, anyone who you would trust who would lie for four years, that then you'd trust them to be different after the four years? Oh, now he's no longer going to be a liar? I mean, th- there's a handful of people here that I, I would trust, but they, the ones that I would trust would not voluntarily go, go this route. Right? The people that I would trust to do this don't want anything to do with the political system. Mm. And personally, I have no desire to enter the political system either. But what I'm saying is there is a strategy... And if you can implement that strategy, it would work. Uh, but there, there's an opposition to the implementation. And then there's your concern that even if you find a guy willing to do it, you can't trust him at the other end. I go, all right, fine. Mm-hmm. Like, that's fair. It, it, that's the other fair problem too. is that if they run for governor, then are they going to start, stop, are they going to stop lying then? Or are they going to keep lying until they run for president? Well, here, I would hope they would stop at governor because that's all that's, you know, Local okay. politics is all I, I so, would really care about. So basically, it would have to be somebody like, a, I don't know, a Trump that wasn't in politics, that, that 
comes in and says, I'm going to give everybody free stuff. And, and then, and that's the only way to get the, you know, whatever seat that you want is to not be in politics before. Or like I said, start them young and go deep, deep, deep undercover. Like put, put them in. Yeah. But if he, if he's doing the wrong thing for 30 years in politics before he runs for president, then, you know, that might be a bad thing. Could be. If he had, and if you have 50 people doing that, you know, then, yeah. well, they're just the government then. <laughs> That's possible. But I, even if that happens, right, you're still no worse off than you are now, right? Then, then it's just a failed experiment that, that puts you in the exact same spot you would have been anyway. So there's still, there's still no loss in that equation. But I also so, suggested that they have to stay away from the libertarian community, right? Like yeah. you, can't be, you can't be associated with us publicly. Because people will make that connection. So I was trying to think of a, of a different type of incentive. Uh, so the one that I came up with, and it's still what I think about all the time and I want to implement, is to pay them, pay everybody to be uh, libertarians. And so I was thinking about making a universal basic income, crypto coin, and if you work for the state, you're not allowed to have it for free at least. You can, you can buy it, of course. Uh, but, uh, you won't be a uh, part of the club and, the, you know, so anyway, sure. that's my idea. Incentivize people, pay them to, and then we'll you know, hire spies to find out who's, who's not a libertarian. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Some of that, in, in, you know, some of that infiltration and payment stuff doesn't even work here on the local level. There was, a, there's a community clubhouse here on the local level where one of the members like, you know, bought his lifetime membership for, and then decided that the, the board of directors uh, was a little too, uh, I'm going to say corrupt, but I don't, th- I don't think that's the right word. Uh, wasn't to his liking, right? They, 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 he did not feel that they were in alignment with the uh, stated goal of the organization or the, you know, the, the, the uh, benefits of the members of the organization. And so he's like, well, the easy way to do that is I will just pay for enough people to become members of this organization, of this club, right? On the promise that I buy your lifetime membership and then you vote for me for like, you know, chairman of the board kind of a thing, right? And then I, then, then I can change things from the inside. And f- at first glance, there's nothing written in the bylaws that says, you know, you can't sponsor someone else to, to join or that you can't have someone else pay for your membership. Like uh, that's seemed to be fair game. Um, and so he, there wasn't a lot of like uh, subterfuge with this plan. It was wide open. Like I'm going to, I'm taking over by buying everyone memberships to the club and then they're going to vote for me. And then I'm getting rid of all you pansy asses. Right. Fun. Fun. Well, except they banned him from the club like two weeks later. Like didn't even, didn't even have a chance to like, <laughs> volunteer one member or, or sponsor one member into the club. It was like over before it started, right? Because people in power, even libertarians in power, right? Have a tendency to want to keep that power, as you said, KS. So it would take a very special person to like do what's right for the community. And what I, what I think, what I like hearing from libertarians, even though I may have ventured off this path uh, recently is we're not here just for freedom of self. We're here for freedom for everybody, right? Like I'm not truly free unless everyone is free with me. I, okay, good. Like if, if you believe that, right, then taking a four-year term, 
right? You know, in, in the shithole of politics, right? You know, call it, call it a tour of duty. If you want to, if you want to think about it in those terms, right? Like you, you're up, man, you volunteer for this deal. You have to go be in charge for four years and then you give it up and someone else will take over after you. Right. Kind of a thing. Uh, it works out a little better here for local politics. Um, because the, and I don't know about the governor, but at least the, the house of representatives, like the, the local, um, the, the local house, um, you, you get paid like a hundred bucks a year for a two year term or something like that. So there's no career politicians, um, at the local level here in the state who are in it for the money, right? You can't be, you, you have to have like an outside source of income because 200 bucks, you know, is not going to cover very many expenses. And without that monetary incentive, right, buying people off to, to participate, uh, it makes it, it's one of the reasons why there's a lot of unfilled seats, right, and some overlap in some places because people just don't want it. And by overlap, I mean, like, I was talking to uh, a, a local, uh, local rep, he's like, well, I, I represent, like, 3,000 people in, like, three different counties, but two of those counties are also represented by somebody else. So there's, like, you know, there, there are areas where there are multiple representatives and you get to pick both when it comes election time, cool. if I understand that correctly. Um, but yes, but paying people off, you know, like, okay, U, UBI, libertarian UBI. I mean, go for it. But I, 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 don't, I don't know if that gets away from the free stuff incentive, right? It's, it's still buying people off with free stuff. Yeah, but it's, I don't know. I, the way I see money is it's like, a, it's a little bit of freedom. So- Give, give everybody a little bit of whatever currency you're going to use in your system. And uh, that's, that's a good enough incentive, I think. And then if you're like, oh, well, I want, I'd like to get on that welfare program. It's like, okay, well, get out of the Libertarian Club. Don't, you know, you're not going to get your free uh, tokens. Okay. Um, anyway, it's a small incentive. It's, it wouldn't be enough to live off of. And it probably wouldn't be enough to replace welfare. Um, yeah. But it's one to make people think about what they're doing. And, and I think it's... Uh, uh, I don't know. Just, it's, I, I think it would be a good tool. That's all okay. I'm saying. It, it reminds me a little bit of the early days of like Bitcoin adoption. Yeah. Right. When it, when Bitcoin was like ultra cheap, where I was like, Oh man, here, have some Bitcoin. You know, I'm giving away bit and there, you know, uh, you know, Bitcoin Jesus and a, a lot of people who were early into it, right. Would give away Bitcoin just to get people involved in the community. Yeah. And I also think if, if the government did it, it would be a, a better incentive because it, it would actually be more effective, I think. But um, imagine if the government was doing it and, uh, and they said, well, you can either take the UBI or, or take the welfare. Even if it was uh, half as much value or a quarter as much value, a lot of people would take the UBI because uh, maybe they don't want the food stamps. You know, they'd rather have the cash so they could do other stuff with it. And so I think uh, money goes a lot further than uh, welfare and, uh, you know, you could, and it could be applied to everything, you know, education, healthcare, whatever, like, Oh, you could take the UBI or you could get all the government services. And how many people would be like, I'd be happier with the UBI. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I sure would. Yeah. I, I, I want to agree with you because it's, you know, it, it turns the welfare into something that is uh, fungible. Right, like you, you can spend this on whatever you want. No limits, no restrictions. Yeah, and it doesn't give power to the state. And that's, the, the, I think, to me, the biggest problem is 
government taking over things that it has no business to, let's say education, and turning it into, I don't know, hell. <laughs> or not education, right? Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it's a, so a place where you go in a lot of places. A, a place where you go to rot and, and become worse off than you were before. I've heard it referred to as like middle class daycare, right? Mm-hmm. Just, all right, I got. I have to go to work. Something must be done with these kids. Go, you guys go sit in that building for eight hours, six hours, whatever. Yeah, but I but I don't know if that changes, right? If if you give someone UBI, you know, where are they going to send their kids, right? I don't. If it is, is it enough yeah, to a, to a private school? And that's the thing. It de- you know depends on how far you take it. Yeah. Um. If if you were to add up all the government services and how much you think that would cost. And then chop that down to a quarter, could you still send your kid to school? And I think probably yes, because everything that th- we pay for through the government is way overpriced and, and is way under uh, quality. Yeah. So, but, are you, but you already, I, I think you said you have a, you're giving people a choice, right? You can take the UBI or you can take the right. welfare. And you're, assu- you're assuming that everyone's going to take the UBI, which... I, I'll grant I would probably make that same assumption, but if you're still offering the welfare, those services still have to be made available, which means you can't shut down the public school, which means you can't close down. No, you, you can just just print some more money. <laughs> okay, but what about the people who? Cho- what about the 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 handful of people that chose the welfare option? Like they can't. Send then they still get to- it until 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 the numbers shrink down enough, and people go, oh well, look, everybody's starting to send their kids to private school. Maybe I'll do that too. And then yeah. eventually everybody does. Right. So, but initially, you, if you're offering the choice, yeah, initially, the, yeah, the public school is still going to be open. It has to of be. Of course. Yeah. Of course. And it's instead of 50 students in a class, it goes down to five students in a class. But, you know. Yeah. And then you, and then you, you know, downsize the schools. And okay. And then eventually you get rid of them. You hope that the government would downsize the schools and get rid of them. No, government's not going to do anything, I say. But okay. I'm just saying this, this is one way they could do it. And, uh, and it would it would work, okay. and eventually it would be cheaper by a magnitude of I don't know like four times four times cheaper for all services. You know, you could do the same thing for health healthcare, education, even the military. You know, <laughs> okay. I mean, you know, start up start up private militaries. I hear you, and I I don't think that your solution. Well, I do think that your solution is better than the current solution that we have now. I just don't see how that moves people towards more freedom and more liberty because well, they're because still getting money for nothing. Because if, you, if you're getting money instead of all the other government services, then you're free to use that how you want. And that's a lot more freedom okay. than uh, the current system. So um, it's, it's basically acknowledging that there is an incentive structure in competing with that. Okay. I mean, again, I, I'm not, I don't think I'm misunderstanding you, but it, it's, how do I want to phrase this? It does seem like a left anarchist talking point where we're talking about like. Um, it, uh, it is redistribution in a way, but. Um, but they would, be, they would be for it, right? Like freedom isn't about, you know, being left alone. It's about having the ability to do whatever you want. And if universal basic income provides you the ability to do whatever you want, then that's mm-hmm. true freedom, even at, you know, even if you didn't work for it, right? Then you then you don't have to work for freedom. Freedom is just having the ability no. to do whatever you want. And see, that's where I think there's a misconception with UBI. 
however much they give you, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, $1 a day or a million dollars a day. Uh, eventually that money will not be enough to live off of. It just won't be. And so you'll, st- everybody will still have to work because you can't print enough money for everybody to not have to work. It's just, that's a, a you know, mathematical certainty. Right. So everybody is still going to have to work. However, they're not going to have to pay the government for their shitty services. Okay. I just, I, again, I, I hear you and I don't know if that solves my problem of um, freedom of redefining what freedom is and what Liberty means. Uh, I'm not really trying to redefine freedom or Liberty. I'm trying to redefine uh, what, what the government uh, could, could do. Okay. To, uh, eliminate its per- perverse incentives. Okay. To take over everything. So why not why not just advocate for the continued supplemental income checks that they started during COVID? I forget what whatever those things were called. Yeah, I would be fine with if that was permanent, but it has to be for everybody. So when they say, "Well, uh, people over eighty thousand uh, dollars, you don't get any," like, well, that's obviously not fair. Uh, people that make $80,000 or more, uh, they're working hard too. Uh, why, yeah. why should they not be able to get the money and, and put their kids in a different school or, or whatever? I mean, were those uh, people complaining though? Like, I, where, where's my $600? I don't know if I heard that um, from the ultra rich going like, I need my $600 check. It was from well, poor eight, people. Well, $80,000 isn't ultra rich. And okay. basically I think, you know, the study that I read, you know, people making all the way up to like $400,000 a year are still in massive debt. And, and there's an incentive for that too. And that's why, but, yeah. um, you know, that has nothing money. to do with income. That's, that's so, a wealth mentality problem. Well, I debt. know, but what I'm saying is those people that are in debt are still working and they're still working hard and they deserve, in my opinion, what everybody else deserves. You know, sure. everybody's, if, if somebody's going to get, something then everybody else should get it too i don't think uh you know just because you make more that you should be uh you know disincentivized you know to not work hard but, you know well if if i if i make seventy nine thousand dollars I'll, I'll get my uh my my st- stimulus check but if i get if i make eighty thousand then then i won't so it's like that's that's a disincentive so it's that to, to work that's that's a terrible thing um so yeah, I think everybody should be treated the same. And, and if they don't want it, of course, if they don't want to sign up for it, if they're if they're well off, or let's just say you, you force the money on on them, you, you dump it in their bank account, then they can just you know donate it to somebody else. Yeah, you know that's not a big problem. <laughs> I mean, if if you recognize the disincentive between seventy nine and eighty thousand, why not why not just work that down? Right. And so like, well, if someone's getting us because this is this would happen, I believe in Seattle when they when they raise the minimum wage. Right, it didn't. It didn't incentivize people to work more. Uh, it disincentivized people from working more. They went. I I was comfortable making you know two thousand dollars a month, and now I can make two thousand dollars a month by working less. Yeah, I will just and that's, work less. And that's fine. I, I don't care what people choose. How much people choose to work. Well, you were just a. It was a problem a minute ago when you said like the the eighty thousand dollar a year guy will be a thousand dollars less productive if he's getting a check. Like who cares? Well, that he, seems so he marginal might, he, at that point. He might choose to to. Look to lower the amount of work based on how much, <laughs> oh my gosh, <laughs> you got me twisted in a pretzel here. <laughs> Good. 
One one sidelight to that uh, Seattle raising the minimum wage was that uh, employers then cut back the hours for many employees. So I mean, so the overall income didn't increase for the workers. Yeah. They just worked fewer hours, and that meant that if you were on duty, you had to cover for the guys who weren't there. So you had right. a heavier workload. I th- that yeah, there's there's two different incentives though. The one the the person at the bottom that is is happy making a certain amount of money, um, he's making they're making a choice, and I'm not for minimum wage either. So however right. much they want to work is up to them, uh, based on how much they want to make. But when you start getting up to higher yeah. numbers, and you're gonna say, oh, well, we're gonna take away your benefits if you make over a certain amount of money, and and then. Right. But if that's I've, a, that's an inverse of that. So if if I'm working, if I'm comfortable making two thousand dollars a month, right? Now let's say you know that's like forty hours. I don't want to do the math, but let's say it's like forty hours a week, right? And then you go like, well, here's a six hundred dollar check, right? My income doesn't uh, go up to twenty six hundred dollars a month, right? I will just cut my hours, and now I have more leisure time, which fine, right. more, but that's that's less uh, market productivity. Right, that's less things being produced in the market because now that that individual. Well, well I mean, it is. I mean, if if you're going to extend that to the guy making eighty thousand between seventy nine and eighty thousand, right? Because then, the guy that making seventy or eighty thousand dollars, he wants to work. He wants to make more money. But then, if you dangle more cash, then it makes it a perverse incentive to say, "Well, I'm going to try to produce less so that I get more." Yeah, and I don't. Where the person where the person at the bottom, he's just in his situation. It doesn't matter how hard he tries. The minimum wage is going to dictate, uh, you know, how much he makes. No, I'm not even talking about minimum wage. I'm I'm talking about the, what the what that I use the minimum wage example because it 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 was a tangible example that actually happened that dictates what happens when you give people extra free money, right? Like they they did not sure. become more productive. They just got yeah. Well, paid I, I, more like I said, I don't care. If if how how productive people want to be that's not that's not the point. The well, then point don't, is, don't worry about the eighty thousand dollar guy going like, well, I'll just make seventy nine because make up the it's difference. An in, it's an inverse incentive. I don't see the, how it's an inverse anything because it's the same incentive. The, the guy it's, at I the will, bottom, I, I will do less because you're not giving me free money. The guy at the bottom wants more leisure time. He's happy with a certain amount of income. Yeah. So he that what he wants is more leisure time. The guy at 80000 he doesn't want more leisure time. All he wants is more money. Okay. And so, so, so he's going why would to he work, work less? less? He's going to work less because he's going to get more money if he works less. That's my point. So okay. it's a, the, the incentive is, there's an incentive not to work. The guy at the bottom, he just doesn't want to work. Yeah, but the guy at the bottom is also being incentivized not to work. He will work less. He's not incentivized to, to not work. He's being... The, the minimum you're talking about minimum wage is, is forcing no the, no the employers I, I to, used, to raise i used minimum wage as an example because in, it's a tangible example of but it's that, not it's not an equivalent at all it uh, because the, the 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 desire of the person what the person wants is is what's different here no because I, if you somebody, if you give someone a 600 dollar a month bonus check for doing nothing right Call that an uh, an equivalent raise in their way in their wage, right? They they get they get paid ten dollars an hour, and all of a sudden you know you give them a, a check that's the equivalent to five dollars an hour, right? And their their overall bonus is fifteen dollars an hour. It's 
free money is free money, whether it comes so from. So we're a talking about check. UBI now or, or minimum wage. I don't think it matters. I, I use the minimum wage example to illustrate what happened in Seattle when well, people's I under, wages. I understand the example, but I'm just saying well, then, there, then there's get two off, different things. And I'm and I'm saying then get off the minimum wage because it was just an example to illustrate what happens when people get paid money for nothing, right? They were they were comfortable. If you if you don't want to talk about yeah, minimum that, wage. And that's right. fine, but that's what I'm saying. I don't care about like that's that's not a problem. Like then get off uh, of it. I'm not make, talking about making, minimum wage. Making Let's say fourteen hundred dollars a month, right? They they were making two thousand dollars a month. You give them a UBI check of six hundred dollars a month. They will then work the equivalent of fourteen hundred dollars a month and take good that for them. I don't see how that's the problem. Because <laughs> you you just said the problem was disincentivizing people to work, and that one hundred percent disincentivized someone yeah, from working th- th- those people don't want to work anyway so they ha- they already have an incentive not to work because it's work and they don't want to do it it's still a disincentive because okay fine because start th- that's start, not a problem the commie, that's not a problem the commie example of being like coerced by nature to work so i don't starve to death right that's a fucking motivator that's an incentive i want to live therefore i'm going to labor so that i don't starve to death right Nobody, they don't yeah, want and I, to work. And I already, and I already uh, explained that no matter how much money you give somebody, they're still going to, if you give it to everybody, they're still going to have to work. But they're going to work less. You, you doesn't you matter. Work. However much they work is however much they want to work. Okay. It's, it's, it's then, totally a choice, however much they want to work. Then don't worry about the seventy-nine dollars to $80,000 guy. I am worried about, the only reason I'm worried about that is because at the moment, with, without my UBI system, if they work, if, if they're at 79,000 and then the government says, well, if you make 80,000, then we're not going to give you the money. So that's the, that's a perverse incentive. Good. Who cares? It's the same as it works its way down the scale. They, they work less. They get the same amount of money. Who cares? Good for them. They've now worked less, got paid the same. Good for them. Because typically the people that are making more money are actually producing more. And those are the ones that, that matter more than, Oh, you know, if, if there's a guy working at McDonald's, how, how hard is he working? It doesn't matter to me or but, how much is he working? But the guy producing Apple, uh, Apple phones and chips for computers and stuff like that guy has to bust his ass because you value those things more well, highly than cheeseburger. They're, they're producing way more value. It, you know, the, the higher up the income typically is, is yeah, I, yeah, I, I think that's the way we view income. That's it, right? How much value did you produce? Well, it shows up in your, in your paycheck. Right. How much value did you add to the world is, you know, directly, directly correlated with what shows up in your bank account every, yeah. every week or and so. And so the worst thing you could do is incentivize those people not to work. Okay. But, but the lower, the people low on the rung, they could work, don't work, doesn't matter. Like the, right. their productive because, values. Because what they want marginal. to do is not work. Well, but if the guy at the top wants to work, you're not you're not going to disincentivize yes. him from working. Yes, you can if you if you give him enough money and say, "Hey, I'll give you a hundred thousand dollars if you stop working." He'll just stop working. I don't know about that. Even even if he has a lot to give to the world. <laughs> See, and I don't know about that because again, you you can have there there comes a point where you can't spend all your money, right? Like, how many yachts do you need? And I think you know, the ultra rich Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. Oh no, those guys. And come I'm not to even talking. And that's why I said I'm not talking about the ultra rich. I'm talking about the 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 middle in, income 
a very competent and understood and high high producing people. But I'm what I'm saying is, those people are such high producers, right? That they 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 they're no longer motivated by the money side of things. I would think, right? Sure, because they have more money than they'll ever spend in in a lifetime. But, yeah, but they still work. Yeah, but they but they you need, give them a six hundred dollar check, they're gonna like oh, I'm not going to work today. But they, but they need those middle income high high producing. Highly competitive people. Sure, but they would they would also be, they would also qualify for that six hundred dollars stimmy, and you would say like on on equality basis they would get it. Not well under the current system. What I'm saying now is if 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 they don't make over eighty thousand dollars they won't get it. Okay. Oh, so your cutoff is eighty. I threw out that number. I didn't know that that no. was like part of your system. No, I it's thought not that was just for the I'm, example. I'm not saying it's part of my system. I'm saying that's the way it is now. And that's why I say it's, it's so bad because people are incentivized in the current system to not make over a certain amount of money. And it's the, it, that's the perverse, perverse incentive that the government structure has created. And it's wrong. Yeah. So but under my system, that was there true is for the no welfare system. That under they, my the, system, the welfare my system, under UBI system, there's, there, there's not an incentive to stop working at any certain amount of money because everybody's going to get it. That's all I'm saying. And I think we got on that track because I said, everybody's going to get it no matter how much they make. Even if you make a billion dollars a year, well, you're still going to get your stupid welfare uh, UBI thing. Yeah. And th- that seems weird because it seems. Why? Be- be- number one, because it's so negligible to them that it doesn't incentivize them one way or the other. It just costs, exactly. it just costs the system, you know, however th- many thousands yeah. of dollars to give it to billionaires. Yeah, a very small marginal amount. Right. But but marginal to them, uh, not necessarily marginal to the system itself. And it is because how many billionaires are there? There's very very few. So it's going to cost the system like point zero 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 one of its you know total disbursement. It, it's negligible. Okay. But there's an important reason why you do it because everybody that gets it, including the billionaire, will go. Oh, this is what like let's let's say there's some beach bum and and he's able to you know scrape by. And, and live off of the, the UBI payment. Fine. Good for him. He's not contributing. He's just, you know, being a beach bum. Uh, he's finding a way to make it work. Good for him. You know, he doesn't matter if, yeah. if there, if, if he wasn't getting UBI and, and, and he'd be barely scraping by working at McDonald's. And I would say the billionaire so doesn't matter either <laughs> because it's so marginal to, to their income. No, it doesn't. It's not, it's not that it matters to him. It's, it's, it matters to the whole system. To the bill. So, because it affects more, the the less you make, it affects you more, and that's pretty much it. It's kind of like the opposite of uh, the the tax structure. You know, the, the taxes is like, well, if you if you don't make anything, you basically you're not paying taxes. If you make under like ten thousand dollars a year or something like that, yeah. uh, you actually probably get paid at the end of the year with stimulus checks, and you, you make more than you than you pay. Yeah. Um, Why are we incentivizing that? But that's that's why I say that the tax structure is wrong. It incentivizes people to work less. But if everybody got the same, then there would be no incentive to work less to get more. I just I, you I, get that, what you I, get, that and then I, you get more. That I fundamentally disagree with, and that's why I why? brought up the minimum wage example because the minimum wage example, like one hundred percent, showed that people are comfortable with whatever level of income they're at and will, in fact, work less. If given a stimulus, why do you care if people work less? And that would be a good thing, right? If people work less, I mean, I would be happier if I was, you know, working less. 
<laughs> if, if I had a job. <laughs> I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I'm saying I'm, I'm disagreeing that you, you don't think it impacts people's productivity and their, their willingness to work. You're That's not that what I said. I'm pretty sure you said it twice. No, there's a difference between incentivizing people to work less and, and, and uh, giving people the option to. Okay. Flush that so out a little an, bit it's more. An, it's, an, it's an, like, like I said, if it's an incentive to work less if you're making $79,000 and the government says, hey, I'll give you $10,000 uh, stimulus, you know, in, in uh, this year uh, if, if you work seven, if you only make $79,000. Okay. So, but he, he still has the option to work more or less. Yes, but he has an incentive to work less because he, he would just maybe work harder. Who knows? I don't see and, why and you make don't make the think, extra money. I don't see why you think that doesn't apply at the at the lower end of the scale. Because the guy at the lower end of the scale, like in in your example, he doesn't want more money. He just wants the same amount of money. Right. The guy at the top wants as much as he can get. That's why he's making seventy nine thousand. He keeps trying to get a, a raise every year, and now all of a sudden, well, you get to that point, and now it's like, well, I don't want a raise because then I'll lose my benefits, and that happens, you know, kind of through all all the scales. Really, if you're at the very bottom, you get all kinds of welfare benefits and, and there's an incentive not to work harder because you'll lose the benefits. Yeah. That's those, called are, welfare. those are, those are perverse incentives. A UBI is not a perverse incentive if everybody gets it because there's, there's no limit on how, how much, uh, you know, you, you choose to make, you know, you decide entirely how much you want to make and there's no incentive that will come and screw that up for you. I think why well, that's where I disagree. Unless, unless I think that UBI check is the disincentive to work more at, at every level. It's, you you by but theory but it's not, it, at the no, upper level. You're not, you're not listening to me. It's not tied to how much you work, so it's not a disincentive to work. It's totally a disincentive to work. No, it's because not because you get the money for doing nothing. You get you, exactly you get it anyway. So if like I said, the the guys at, on the beach bum, it's just his choice whether to work or not at that point. Right. And if he, if he didn't have the check. But he doesn't have an incentive not to work. He just has a UBI check. That's a, that, okay, so at zero, he's, at he's zero going income, to get He's going to get correct. the UBI anyway. So it's not, there's no incentive either way. He's just going to get that. Okay. And, but the guy working 40 hours a week who then gets the UBI and decides to work 30 hours a week or 35 hours a week, whatever my example was earlier, I don't know how you're saying that's not being disincentivized to work because they actively work less and make up the difference with the STEMI check. And see, at that point, it's just a choice of how much they want to work. It's not about. Yeah. You, uh, it's a ch- they're making the choice to work less because they're getting free money that disincentivizes them from working the same amount, right? They got, they got, they got to work hard to make $2,000 a month and that's, that's, that's what they can make. Like they put in their 40 hours, they make $2,000 a month and you go like, well, here's 600 bucks. And I'm like, oh shit, I don't need to work 40 hours anymore. Yeah. Good for <laughs> them. 600 bucks. That's a disincentive. No, because the, the, there's still money is still an incentive. And so if they want to make more, they can. So there's, so there's no reason for them to settle at any price unless they pick, unless they decide that's how much they need or or they care to work for. Yeah, and then we go back into a circle. I go, okay, move that up the scale. The guy making 79000 is not necessarily disincentivized because if he works a little bit harder and he makes eighty and doesn't get his check, fine, right? But he could, That's not he, fine. 
Why is it because not fun? he won't do it? He'll he'll try to keep his amount why, of work lower why because do you there's care an incentive. He won't do it, but you don't care that the guy making you know two thousand dollars a month will. That we're talking about two different systems now. No, it's the right. same system. It's not the same system. I'm not <laughs> talking about minimum wage. I'm talking about a stimmy check. I used the minimum wage as an example. It confused you. Okay. I backed off of it. You make you make two thousand dollars a month. So under the current system right now, if you're making seventy nine thousand dollars. You get the stimmy check. If you make eighty thousand, you don't, right? So you you understand why he would choose to work a little bit less, so he gets the free money. Yeah, I absolutely understand it. Okay, so I'm what if you, he didn't? But what if what if he got the free money no matter what? Then he wouldn't stop working at seventy nine thousand. He'd try to make eighty thousand, eighty five thousand, whatever, because he's still going to get the free money, right? So that's that's a that's a system that does not incentivize people not to work. It just it's just free money. But on the low end of the scale, it has the same effect. And I, I bring up this the example of it, the minimum wage because it fulfills the same end result. Like we we know with certainty at this point. It's not it's not it's not an incentive not to work. It's just a choice not to work. At the low end, then yes. then it's a choice on the high end too. No, it's not. Not on the if you're comparing it to the current system. Okay, yeah. The you're right. It is a choice for both people. That's what I want. I want everybody to have the choice how much they work without anybody telling them they're not going to get their whatever it is from the government, uh, no matter how much they may make. I think under our current system we have right now, I think everybody should get food stamps if they want them. Okay. And you don't see how that would be a disincentive for people to work. Like th- this, was, this was the problem with it, the it would, it would allow It would allow people not to work. It's not a disincentive to work. It's just there's a difference between the word disincentive and, uh, uh, you know, e- economic opportunity or you know, whatever. The, I well, don't yeah, know you're calling it, it. You're calling it a choice, but what yeah. again? What we what we've seen, uh, the the nature of human beings, right? When you're paid more for the same amount of work, uh, you do less work. That's what happened. Like that's you know, th- th- there's economic theory, and then there's economic theory in practice and the, the example that we have in this realm in practice is uh what ks said earlier which is hours were cut and so you could not work anymore right uh, on the minimum wage side of things but also the choice to not work more because you valued leisure more highly than you did work when you were getting free money and at the beginning of the pandemic when everyone was sent home and fired or whatever right they're like well we'll cover that by giving you free money to not work. And then what is what what did that bear? You know, a year and a half down the line, people don't want to go back to work. They want more stimmy checks. Right? They they've gotten accustomed to money without work. Yeah, and and eventually if you keep giving everybody money to not work, eventually you'll have inflation that money won't be enough to provide their lifestyle and they'll have to go back to work. I just don't think So let's just skip that step and be, get them to work, right? Because what, the, what, what, what everyone missed during that whole stimmy check run, right, was the production side of the economy, supply, the, the supply side of that economic equation. And people not working, right, is, what, is one of the factors that's creating a shortage in a lot of the areas that there are shortages in now, right? They, they, they stopped, people stopped working, right? Supply chains shut down, you know, it had all these ripple effects, and we're, you know, they're still trying to figure out a way to dig out of that, 
And one of the ways that, you know, economies are rebounding is cutting off the stimulus checks and coercing by nature people back into the workforce, right? Starving is a huge motivator. It's a big incentive. If you give away, oh, yeah. right. So, so starve them of free money, starve them of welfare, starve them of government handouts. And all of a sudden the lazy become very productive. And if you want to call, and I'll say, you know, for, for the commies out there, coerced by nature, fine. I don't care. Like that part, I don't care. Coerced by nature, fine. You know, produce or starve. Your choice. That's the choice. Yeah. And I'd, and I'd like to say the same thing to the, the people working at the banks. Produce or starve? Yeah. Okay. They're, they're, but they're don't in produce power because of, because of government. They get to print money and benefit themselves before everybody else. And they're... They're not producing anything. They're <laughs> they're uh, they're they're fraudsters. Yeah, I would agree with that as well. And this is the weird thing for me, right? Um, I don't understand. I don't understand how banks work. Um, insofar as you earn money by having your money in the bank, right? To to me, it's a vault service, right? You hold my money. Um, no, not at all. As soon as you put your money in there, they lend it out to somebody. Right. And, and that's, that's and how actually they lend out more than they have. And then and, and they try to make it up at the end of the yeah. year. <laughs> Fractional reserve bank. I get that, but I don't understand. I, what I, what I, when I say I don't understand, it's not that I don't have a conception of it, right. Is I don't, I don't see how that's a feasible business model, right? Like because, because I give you the money, you hold it for me. I should be paying because you there's for the no, service of holding. They're not, there's no risk. There's no risk to them. They have the Federal Reserve to bail them out no matter what they do. So they, they make money by lending money and charging interest. And if, and if they lend money to bad people or whatever and they don't pay back, it doesn't matter. They can always lend more and make more money. Yeah. So, so uh, again, so banking is an upside-down business. It's like insurance. It's fraud. It's, it's corrupt. <laughs> no, insurance isn't fraud. <laughs> Why? Well, yeah. yeah uh, I'm, not a bi- yeah. I'm not a big fan of insurance because, to me, it's – they, the only way to, the only way that uh, insurance companies are profitable is by not providing the service that they're offering, right? If they had to pay out on all the claims, they would, they would quickly be out of business because there's not enough funds to pay mm-hmm. out all the claims. De- depends on how many claims there are. All if there's the not a hurricane for a thousand years, then, then yeah. they won't have to pay any claims. Yeah. Uh, but then, the, then they're collecting money and providing no service. Yeah. Right. I, that's, that's a weird business model to me. I don't know how it exists. I see that it exists. I recognize that it exists. I assume because a lot of people actually do get their money. Well, then they would be out of business. If, if, if everyone got their money, then they'd be out of business, right? It, it's, it's upside down <laughs> in my mind. Same with the banks, right? Banks, you, you say fraud, I'll agree, right? They're, providing, they're paying you to provide you a service. How does that work? Well, depend, depends on... What kind of deposits there are? There's two kinds. There's time deposits that where you're giving them the money, and it's it's in it's in their hands. They have the authority to use it for a period of time, and they're paying you an interest rate, presumably for you, yeah, you allowing them to hold it. But the other kind, the checking accounts, that's where it's really troublesome because they don't say that they're paying you anything. They're giving you the convenience of um, of offering you to transfer money easily with it. Uh, from one checking account to another. Yeah. Why don't I pay um, for that? But I don't it's pay on for that. demand. And uh, well, yeah, but it's on demand, which means that it's yours. And at any time you want it, it's supposed to be there for you. 
Yeah. But 90, 90% of it has been loaned out to somebody else. Yeah. And that's where it's a problem because now they're saying to the next guy, you've got 90% of this too. And it's not there. And it's a very risky system. They like it because <clears throat> they get a lot of money on the, on the loans. They don't have to pay yeah. a deposit or anything for it. So I'm, it's a I'm, fraud. I'm, loan, I'm giving the bank money that they can then loan out, right? Like, why do they set the terms? I should be setting the terms. It's my money. I'm lending it to them to do what they, you know, to do what they want with it on, on uh, and lend it out. Mm-hmm. Right. But it, a demand deposit is means it on payable to the bearer on demand. When you write out the check, it says, that's what it says on the check. Sure. And, um, so if they don't have it because they've uh, loaned it all out to somebody else and they don't have it, then they just tell you, well, that's tough. Now there was a time when banks were held accountable and liable for their demand deposits and uh, they could be in trouble, even executed or lose their hands. And in in, um, times when banks had to adhere to those, uh, to those policies, but if they're, I mean, to, to um, truth. Yeah. So we we should, we should go back to that. I think so. Yeah. For demand deposits. Yes. Or for the other one. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand if I'm like, if, if they're giving me money for the, you know, if they're paying me an interest, a small interest rate to borrow my money so that they can loan it out at a higher interest rate and make up the difference, mm-hmm. right? I don't understand why they set the terms and are so rude to customers, right? It should well, be the other way around. Presumably the, the, the term is that you're giving it to us to hold and to administer for a period of time. Yeah. And at the end of that period of time, yes, they're, they're obliged to, to pay it back to you. But during that time, <clears throat> you have no claim on it. You, you, I mean, normally for small savings accounts and so on, we, sure. we expect to be able to get it right away and as a convenience they give it, but they don't have to. <clears throat> but but the, banks, the, the banks themselves come across as like, you know, some big organization where, you know, the little guy doesn't matter, but we absolutely do. Collectively, yeah, we should, collectively the, 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 the bank quote-unquote customers should be setting the terms, not the other way around. And I'm, I'm lending you the money. You it's do what I say. Mm-hmm. Right? It's backwards. Yeah. Same like the insurance. It's, up, it's upside down and backwards. I get it. It is what it is. I'm not, I'm not naive to the situation. I just, you know, fr- from a historical point of view, right, I don't, I don't know how the people allowed that shift to happen, right? Um, it reminds me, before, you know, before cryptocurrency, there was, um, you know, silver was like all the rage in the liberty community and libertarians or whatever. And the, the Lakota nation um, <laughs> was like a big deal for like five minutes. Um, and at one point they started their own bank with like silver deposits. Like you have silver, you can deposit it into the, like the free Lakota bank. Um, and they were selling rounds. So you could like, you know, minted, they were minting silver that you could then, you know, exchange for as well. And it made sense. They said, like, we will hold your silver, but we're charging you like 2% to hold your silver, right? I go, well, that makes sense because they're holding it for me. They're providing this vault service, right? Now, if they wanted, if I wanted to lend them my silver so that they could lend out something at interest, as you said, with the banks, well, then, then yeah, right? Then they would have, you know, I wouldn't have, a, I, I wouldn't have a demand on that um, for a certain period of time, uh, but presumably I would get more at the end of that period of time. And they would be paying me for that privilege, but they mm-hmm. couldn't do that if I didn't give them the silver. 
Uh, and, but I, well, on the other hand, I would pay for the vault service. Like to me, that makes sense. The, the current system makes zero sense. Um, and again, you know, ins- insurance as well. Uh, I mean, I get it. People, you know, if you're like, okay, you're not buying the policy, you're buying peace of mind. Oh, yeah, I, I can see that, right? Here, here's 50 bucks a month of free money just so I can feel better about nothing bad ever happening to me. Just flush it. Or, right, as, you know, as an individual, if I go like, well, I, I will assume the risk, right, of presuming that nothing bad is going to happen to me and I will start my own savings account, right? Or, mm-hmm. a, or a mutual aid society of some kind where you're like, okay, mm-hmm. Steve well, they, needs they the allow money. That in, they allow that in Missouri for car insurance. If you, mutual aid? If you have a, no, if you have an account with $50,000 in it and you set it aside for car insurance, then, yeah. then you don't have to pay in car insurance. You just have to have that separate account. That works because then, then you're responsible anyway. Um, I like it here in New Hampshire where car insurance mm-hmm. isn't mandatory. Right, but I've I've been in a couple accidents and insurance paid out, so I don't know. Seems seems to work to me. Yeah, I don't see what you think is the problem with insurance and how it's different than fract. I mean, I I could see the problem with fractional reserve banking, um, but all of it, whether it's insurance or or banking, is compounded by the government's um, limited liability for corporations, and that means that then people are not held accountable. Owners of banks and insurance companies are not held fully accountable for the losses that they may incur by broken contracts with uh, their depositors or uh, premium payers. The, the only way insurance works, <clears throat> in my mind, in theory, is if you're saying you're not buying a policy, you're buying peace of mind. Because otherwise, right, you, you, you pay this money to the, to the insurance company. And the only way that they're profitable is if you don't get into an accident and they don't have to pay out. And then if you do get into an accident, they're then incentivized, right, to spend whatever, uh, you know, whatever up to a certain amount in investigatory uh, compensation to try to deny that claim. Because if everyone filed the claim, right, they would be out of business. It's not, it, it's not a sustainable business model. It's a money for nothing business model. Right, like yeah. Hurricane Katrina, when all the when the, the flood insurance came around, like, oh man, we got that's a lot of flood claims that we got to pay out on. It's too bad it got all the all the policy documents got washed away in the hurricane. It would suck if we had to produce those documents and actually pay out the claims because then we'd be out of business. It's it's well, backwards. I think businesses should I, be profitable by providing services, and insurance companies don't provide a service. Um, and the only time that they do provide that service, they lose money backwards no i i I don't think so they're they're not just a peace of mind but as mc had pointed out when you get into a car accident and they uh, pay the claim then you've been you've recovered a loss you have people are doing that they have lost no they are less profitable by you filing that claim than they would be otherwise they no, provided you I the service of, of, of paying out the claim, and they now make less money because of it. Okay. If they never paid out a claim, no one would buy their insurance. They have a reputation that is established by, by actuaries and, and, uh, and uh, a lot of uh, companies that evaluate um, uh, the veracity of companies. They um, get customers because they have a reputation for paying out. You know, yeah. And they do, you know, they, um, 
some companies better than others, but then they gain a reputation for being quality company or not a quality company. I mean, and, I have and in paying out and in paying out that insurance, claim. and if I felt like I had troubles, even problems in getting um, uh, payment from an insurance company, then I would switch to another company that had a better reputation. And what I'm saying all is, all of them are bound by the by the contract. You, sure, you, understood. If the government is again not, not ignorant uh, here. Listen, mm-hmm. okay. When they when you file that claim. And they provide you with that. So like you, you file a car claim for $30,000, right? They pay out on that claim, $30,000, right? Their profit at the end of the year drops by $30,000 because they have, they have to provide the service. Of, yes, of, but I think you're not hearing the point that the reason that they can make money, they have more people buy their policy than they pay out because they are selling the service of absorbing the risk of people who don't want the full risk. Yeah. So there's risk absorption. And yes, they, I mean, every business has an expense. You could say, well, McDonald's, every time they, uh, they pay for ground beef for burgers, Oh, they're going to have less of a profit at the end of the year. Yeah. You can say that that's an expense, but it's an expense of the business. The business is providing uh, these uh, claims, uh, payment on these claims. So yes, they have an expense. It reduces their profit. But they, if they don't have that expense, then no one's going to buy their service. They don't get the plus side. And the I profit at the end of the year is the difference between yeah. their, their costs and their revenue. And again, I don't think they should have that plus side because if you total up right, all the payments that people make on insurance claims or payment into their policy, right, it is then more than the payout on the claims because that's how they're profitable. So if, if those people like skip the middleman, right, there'd be more money and you wouldn't have, in, you wouldn't have an insurance company. Like, well, but the difference would be, it would be on some people would be, have more money and other people would lose everything. And that's what that, why they pool the risks. So you look at the way the uh, shipping first got together and decided uh, that they're going to start Lloyd's of London, an insurance company. There were shippers that said, well, if my ship comes in, I'm fine. I make a lot of money. If my ship doesn't because it got attacked by pirates or a storm or some reason it sank to the bottom, then I'm, I'm ruined. It's not just that I didn't make money, that I'm totally ruined. And so the shippers would get together and say, okay, let's share the risk so that if somebody's ship doesn't come in, um, we're all going to take a bit of a hit, but not all of us. You know, we're not going to be ruined. We just take, uh, we, we have agreed ahead of time that if you lose your ship, I'll pitch in a cost to, to absorb that loss. So then that was reassuring to financiers and to banks. They said, oh, well, good. That, that's easy for us then to make loans to a shipper, to someone to, to build a ship, to take the cargo, to go on an adventure across the ocean. All risky stuff. But why would a bank do that if they thought they could... Um, they could lose it all. Well, now they don't have to worry about that because the shippers have agreed to share the risk so that if one of them loses, they lose a little bit instead of everything. And that's the same thing with a family. If, you know, you Yes, you could say more people lose money through insurance. That's why insurance companies make some money. But yeah. it, it matters to the individual if in the family the, the father dies and can't take care of the kids, then the whole family is uh, is destitute. Yes, the other people may have made more money by keeping their own money, 
but you don't know who is going to be the one hit by the exigencies of life. Which is again why I'm okay with a mutual aid network. Right? We're like, well, I'm part of the network, so I'll 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 pitch in when Susan hits a hard time, right? Or I'll pitch in when Steve, you know, needs that surgery. Uh, but to 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 pay it to an insurance company on the off chance that I might need it later. Well, that's an that's what an insurance company is. And it's a mutual aid society. Everybody's oh, pitching it's, in. It's not even close to a mutual aid society. Okay. You, you have your opinion, I have my opinion. I okay. think that it is what a mutual aid society does. They pay someone in to administer all of the facets of income and expenses. And, um, um, yeah, the Rotary Club can have their mutual aid society, but I think a, a mutual life insurance company is organized to do the same thing. And I don't know if it's organized to do the same thing. That's why I disagree. Well, look, if, 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 you know, you said, I'll help out Nancy if she, she gets into trouble. Well, yes, you would if you knew, if you knew her. Yeah. Maybe you would, but you, there's no way she can count on that. I mean, love can help with your neighbors and so on, but it's not enough to, to ensure that she's going to be able. I mean, if there's a hurricane in, uh, on the island here, um, everybody's going to be in trouble. And you're going to say, well, I'm saying I would help Nancy, but I've got, I was hit too. Well, so you want to have a big enough network that's draw, yeah. able to draw funds from other States where the insurance company operates and your mutual aid society, if it's a small community is just not able to do that. Okay. I just, and if, and again, I go back to Katrina then, right. When they, they were bound by contract to fill all those uh, claims and they just went, no, too much, right? We, we lost the documents. Oh, I, I agree with you. Some insurance companies will do that. I don't think you get, I don't think you have that effect in a smaller mutual aid society because it's a community thing, not a big corporation, you know, who's incentivized, who's incentivized by profits and shareholder value to pay as little out on the claims as possible. Cause that's, no. that's the bottom line. I mean, that's also life. There's, you know, there's going to be good people and bad people, honest people and dishonest people, um, in, in every kind of business, I would say that they congregate even more in governments, but it happens in the private sector too. Private sectors are filled with you know, honest people and dishonest people. And um, so you devise means of evaluating whether or not you're dealing with a company that is honest or not. And that's what the, you know, presumably the, the court system uh holds people to their contracts. And if they don't, then of course I'd say there are real problems with government court system and why we ought to rely more on private arbitration and things like that. Yeah. That's, but, that's um, one of the few lessons I learned from my dad is that the, the courts don't care about contracts, right? He, he was in collections. Um, and I used to read a lot of contracts at that time for my job. And he's like, Oh man, I got to go to court again because we're trying to get, you know, uh, uh Trying, trying to hold this person accountable to the contract that they signed to pay this debt of whatever it happened to be. And I go like, well, if it's, if it's signed, like, why wouldn't, why wouldn't the court rule in your favor? You know, they like, I agreed to pay this amount and then they didn't. And they go like, okay, you got to pay that amount. It's bound by contract. And his answer was courts love a little guy, right? Big corporation sues a little guy. Courts just favor the little guy because they're the little guy. That's nothing to do with justice. Right or or you know bound by or contract law, it's just the whim of the state court at that time. Well, I'd say that the big guy 
uh, uh, also has a lot of advantages in that they can hire very expensive lawyers to do things in the courts that the little guy can't do. So it's not just always the the little guy gets. Uh, in fact, that's sort of the first time I ever heard that where the courts favor the little guy over the big guy. And I think the big guy has enormous. Uh, tools and and leverage in the courts that the little guy doesn't have. Well, again, this is this is debt collection. So this is a guy who doesn't have any money, who owes money to somebody, right? and you're like, well, he's not paying, he's not coming to terms. We're going to have to sue him, and you know, get get the money by force in some form or fashion, right? And the the, the big corporation has all the all the lawyers, but it really comes down to like, did you put your name on the contract, and are we going to enforce the terms of the contract? And according to my dad, right, who did this for 30-some-odd years, they tend to favor the little guy. You go like, well, you signed the contract, but we're going to rule in your favor anyway. You are now absolved of this debt, which you clearly owed by your signature on this contract. So it could, be, right. it could be industry-specific, but that's... I think we're running out of time. No, we're way over time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, we can end it there, though. Final thoughts? Nope, thanks. Nope. All right, you guys know where to find us, anarchistexperience.com. On Telegram, t.me slash anarchist experience or t.me slash the anarchist experience. Uh, Clubhouse is where we do the live show. Again, riches for rich at me uh, to get the notification or just find the club, the anarchist experience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, you can do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash the anarchist experience. Thank you all for listening and we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Aloha.